This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Bookmark. I'm Uma Paganampake Pagan, and joining me on the show today, Kevin Kwan, the best selling author of Crazy Rich Asians, China Rich Girlfriend, and of course, his latest and final installment in the trilogy, Rich People Problems. Hi, this is Kevin Kwan. I'm the author of Rich People Problems. Rich People Problems. Let me tell you, let me be honest with you. I didn't think I would enjoy getting back into this world as much as I did. But there is this incredibly, just incredible guilty pleasure in the books that you put out. <laughs> and I mean that in the best way possible. Well, thank you for reading them. I was happy to get back into the world of Nicholas Young. That was my whole intention. You know, I mean, you know, I, I always really meant to tell this story of this family and wrap it up the way I did. And it was always going to circle back, you know, to Nicholas and his family and, and Singapore. What was it like getting back into the family and into the mind of Nicholas Young and his family? Was it like settling into, you know, a warm bath again, getting back into that old groove? You know, there was a part of it that was very much that. But also, you know, whenever you open up, uh, you know, well, I open my laptop and I start writing and you have a black page in front of you. It's almost like you go on an adventure with your characters. You begin with an intention of wanting to write about something. And then the characters almost show you the way into other stories, into other truths. And so for me, it was fun, too, because, you know, I had an idea of where I wanted to go. But it went so much deeper and into so many more interesting places than I ever expected to go in writing this. So I, you know, as much as you enjoyed it, and I thank you for, for saying that, I really enjoyed getting back into this world and writing and rediscovering the, the stories that I wanted to tell within these characters. Well, the interesting thing about the world that you've set up, at least in these last few books, is something we don't necessarily see in literature coming out of the Western world. I mean, we get your traditional Asian literature that's always somehow rooted in ghosts and the past and nostalgia, but we don't necessarily see the soapy deliciousness uh, that we would get from something like The Bold and the Beautiful within an Asian context. Yeah, and you know, I always say, you know, my books are very slice of life, and people laugh <laughs> because they're like, "Who's life?" You know, and it's like, you know, I'm I'm trying to create a world where you see the the real problems of these people. Um, they just happen to be rich, and so with their problems, you know, comes exponentially more issues, more complications. You know, I, I always say, money always screws things up on a whole new level. You know. And so you see that with this, with this world and with these characters and the struggles and the wars, internal wars, wars with other people that they fight. And so much of it has to do with, with the money. You know, It causes the pain, but it also causes the pleasure. It, it, it does. And that's exactly what I was about to say, because money in your books and as depicted in your books, it's quite interesting because I don't think you can escape a chapter without brand dropping or name dropping. And yet it fits within that environment almost perfectly. I know people who talk like that. Mm -hmm. I bet you do, Uma. <laughs> it's really awful sometimes. And, and, yeah. and, and you know, I know yeah. people who talk like that and people who immediately assume that anyone brown in the vicinity might be the ones carrying your luggage, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, and it, it's it, interesting because a lot of my American and European readers, you know, 
they don't necessarily come into contact with these characters as much as you do or as I do. So they're like, why is there so much name dropping? Why is the mention of the brand? That's like, because it's how people talk in this world. You know, it's an, it's an easy reference and people, they use brands as a way to relate to one another. You know, like we're in the same club. We're wearing the same watch. We're driving the same cars. We're flying the same net jets, private jet service. It makes them feel safe. Um, most of these people don't have much imagination. Most of these people want to belong to the tribe. They don't want to be the outlier that tries a new brand. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, because it's far too scary. You know, I, I recently saw pictures of a, you know, of a very high-profile funeral. You know, it was a very high-profile funeral for a very high-profile tycoon. And I swear to God, every woman had an Hermes Birkin bag, you know, <laughs> around her elbow. Every single woman. And it's like, what is it? It's almost, it's very much like a uniform. You know, they all have to have the Cartier watch and the Hermes bag. And it's like, to me, it's so robotic and sort of Stepford Wives-ish, but... This is the way it works. So I was going to ask you to describe the book for people who don't know. But before I do that, I don't know if you've seen the introduction to the advanced reader's copy. Have you seen that? It's by Jennifer Jackson, who's the senior editor at Penguin Random House. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And she's, you know, she's my editor and she's so wonderful in her way that she's describes the book. I could never do that justice personally. And I think that first paragraph is absolutely perfect because – Rich people problems are not the same as first world problems. All of us have first world problems, but rich people problems are something else completely. Indeed, they are. So tell people what this book is about. Well, this book is the third and final book in the Crazy Rich Asians trilogy. So it, it continues the story from where we left off in my second book, China Rich Girlfriend. And it's the continuing story of Rachel and Nick and Astrid and Charlie and all the characters that you know people have come to love. But it's also my way of exploring even more new territory. You know, it was always my intention that in writing these books, I wanted to show different parts of Asia, different cultures of Asia, different money cultures within Asia. You know, whether it's Singapore or Malaysia or the Philippines or Indonesia, I wanted to really show people, you know, the variety that's in this world and um, really kind of use that backdrop to tell, you know, a very human story about a family that's going through, you know, um, turmoil because Nicholas's grandmother, Shang Suyi, she's on her deathbed. You know, she is 96 years old and, you know, her time is running out. And she is, of course, the mistress of this vast estate in Singapore, 65 acres, you know, the middle of central Singapore. You know, the value is almost priceless. And so as she's on her deathbed, all the relatives from out of the woodwork, you know, are, are coming into the house flying to Singapore on their private jets. And um, everyone's machinating. Everyone's playing games. Everyone's strategizing to see how much and what share they can get of this vast fortune. And so in the middle of this whole, you know, tornado comes Nick, you know, who was once upon a time the favored grandson, but has, now has fallen out of favor. So we see what happens. Oh, there's always a favorite grandson. There always is, isn't there? <laughs> Were you the favorite grandson? <laughs> I, I, I think I was. I or at least I'd like to think I was. Although, unfortunately, none of my grandparents had a lot of money. Yeah. But it still makes you a target. You know, it still puts you in the center of almost, you know, there's an interesting jealousy that happens. And, 
you know, not just of your cousins, but even some of your aunties and uncles, you know, they're like, oh, there he is. He's the favorite grandson. And there's a tension that comes from that. And I really wanted to, to really kind of explore the tension and the drama and also the comedy of these big, messy Chinese families, you know, and, and what goes on. Um, you know, as much as Crazy Rich Asians, the first book was about what goes on at a big, grand, crazy rich wedding. You know, here I wanted to see what goes on at a big, grand, crazy rich funeral. So it's com- kind of like a bookend to the first book, in a way. Well, you say this is the third and final book, Kevin, but you've created a series of characters that are quite, that are really quite compelling and would last. I, I don't... I. I don't necessarily see an end for them, if if that makes sense. I mean, you know, when I see when I when, yeah. I, when I think about trilogies and I think about, you know, Michael Corleone dies and that's fine and that's a fitting end. And yet, these these characters are they seem to live on in us and in the people around us. It's not so detached from reality. It's really not, and they go on, you know. And I, I don't want to give any way too many spoilers, but. You know, as we end the book, I, you know, my hope is that these characters move on with their lives also, you know, and who knows, maybe at some point I'll come back and revisit them. Um, but for me as a writer, you know, I, I really, I'm, I already have an idea for what I want to do after, you know, this trilogy has ended. And I really want to explore that, you know, and I want to explore new territory and challenge myself in a new way. And I, I need a break also, I think, from this crazy rich Asian world <laughs> because it, it gets to be a bit much. I, I was going to say, it must be quite tiring to write. It gets to be a bit much. Yeah. It's, it's you know, it's, 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 it's taken a lot out of me to write these books. You know, in, in the, you know I've written three 500-page novels in the past five years. Um, and with that has come, you know, I do intensive research. Um, when I'm writing my books. So I travel to places, I, I, you know, I meet people. Um, I really have to experience so many of the elements that are in the books that I write about. I have to be in the hotel rooms. I have to be in the restaurants. And, you know, pe- you know people say, oh, you know, you're so lucky you get to eat at all these five-star restaurants and go to these resorts. And yes, you know, I, I admit there's part of me that's, I, I mean, it's thrilling that I get to do this, that it's, that it's part of my job. But at the end of the day, it also is a job. You know, I'm not really relaxing when I'm at this resort. <laughs> you know, I'm talking to hotel managers. I'm, I'm talking to, I'm getting stories from people. I'm looking at locations. I'm, it's almost like I'm directing my own movie, you know, but it goes on a page instead of on film. Tell me what it's like writing such terrible characters. I'm always curious. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I think about the Fast and the Furious movies that are all about family, yeah. and they're criminals, and yet some of these characters in your book are awful. <laughs> I want to actually punch them. Yeah, I'm wondering which ones you're talking about. I don't know who, which ones you're talking about. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> the, you know, the really nasty ones, the really nasty ones are, for me, the most fun to write. Um, for some reason, you know, I really enjoy the comedy of of writing about these snobbish, social climbing, grasping, greedy <laughs> characters um, because they're, you know, they're colorful, they're high drama. Um, and the ones that are quieter and more subtle and more classy, you know, they're it's they have a much more. They have a much deeper internal life 
you know, so there's, it's a lot more work. Whereas when you're writing about shallow people, it's very easy because it's, it's all on the surface. It's all laid bare. You know what I mean? So for me, it's fun. You know, those chapters go by so quickly. But even with the shallow characters or characters that are seemingly shallow. So take the matriarch of the family, for example, Nicholas's mother. And yet, yeah. you know, she is on the surface incredibly shallow and trying to do what's best for her family in this through her lens, right? And of course, that comes with the weight of all of this cultural baggage that she carries with her. And so there's a tremendous depth to that. Thank you for seeing that. Thank you for seeing that. And, you know, I, I always say that, you know, people are like, oh, you know, Eleanor is such a bitch and Eddie is so such a snobby, you know, just show off. And, I, and it's like, and I always say, well, look beyond, look at the root of why they are who they are. And because to me, that's what makes them all interesting. You know, I, I really hope and I strive to, to create characters that are always very multidimensional. And there's always two sides of the story. Um, you, always, you know, and I, I try to reveal what their internal struggles are in everything that they do. Which is why I think it must be quite interesting getting feedback from American readers and British readers versus Singaporean readers and Malaysian readers, because we all know matriarchs like that and we understand well, we almost understand where they're coming from. It's been very interesting. And I find that there's a universality to a lot of these stories. You know, I've, I've met readers now from all over the world, you know, people from Israel, for example, you know, or people from Pakistan and, and people from Italy. And they read my books and they say, you know, your family in this book, it reminds me of my family or a family I know. So I, I think it, it has really bridged many cultures in a way because people... You know, at the heart of it, this is one family. And I think all families, whether they are rich or poor or, you know, from whatever cultural background, there is a commonality of experience. You know, people want the best for their children. People are always striving in different ways. People, some people want to really stand out from the crowd. Some people are just dying for love. Um, so these stories resonate across many, many cultures. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful that um, people are seeing that. So, Kevin, Crazy Rich Asians is well, well on its way to becoming a major Hollywood motion picture. Uh, we've got two Malaysians in it. We've got Michelle Yeoh and now Henry Golding. We're quite excited over here about that. Uh, we're also massive fans of Constance Wu. Talk to me about your feelings about this whole thing. It's huge. You know, it's been such an amazing, surreal experience to just sort of sit back and watch all of this unfold. And, you know, and there's so much more to come. And, you know, there's so many other more characters that are going to be revealed in the coming weeks, you know, as, as we go by and, and head towards, you know, the beginning of filming. And I just feel so lucky and so privileged to be able to see, you know, really, it's been a dream cast of the most talented representation of, of, of Asian actors in the world. And we, we set out to do that. We set out to really create this dream team of really pulling together the best actors, whether they were from England or Australia or Singapore or Hong Kong or Malaysia and the U.S. We really wanted to create this very, very multidimensional cast. Um, so I'm, I'm, for one, just so grateful and so thrilled that these amazing actors have agreed to be in this movie. And um, hopefully they'll all have a great time, <laughs> you know. So what do you have? Do you have to do anything? I mean, I know there's a disconnect between the writer of the book and the people who make the film, but 
Is there anything you have to do now? Actually, I've I've been I've been very very involved. They have really involved me, you know, in in every step of the way. And and I've you know I I you know we had the, a big. I watch all the casting auditions, and you know everything's on video these days. And so I've seen every audition, and I you know there was a big viral campaign when we reached out on YouTube for because we really were looking for fresh, new, young, undiscovered talent you know, people that weren't necessarily trained actors. So it's been so fun to sort of meet all these people and discover them and see their tapes and, you know, have so many discussions with, with the producers and with John Chu, the director. Um, it's sort of unbelievable for me. You know, it's very, it's a strange experience to see people create characters out of characters you've written and to see them interpret your words. Um, it's, um, it's a crazy experience. That's all I can say, you know? Um, and um, I feel very privileged, very lucky to, to sort of, you know, be a fly on the wall and see that happening. Well, as much as I'm looking forward to the movie, I have to say, I always envisioned it as a kind of CW series. <laughs> and I think it will work really well. Yeah, you never know. I mean, it could spin off into a whole series if, if the movies do well enough, you know? Um but thank you. I mean, I, I grew up on the CW, so I, I loved the, many of those shows, you know, like the OC, for example. Exactly. You know? But with but with Chinese people. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it, it's it's so great to see these characters and these actors, you know, step up to the plate. And, and, and really, my hope is that for them, this is just an increased international exposure. And, and people in the U.S., people in England, people in Brazil will start noticing that, hey, you know, there's so much amazing untapped talent out there, actors who just happen to be Asian. So why can't they be in all these other movies? You know what I mean? Like, why does this character have to be white, for example? You know, why does Han Solo have to be white, for example? Um, so I'm hoping that this opens up opportunities for Asian actors around the world to be in movies around the world, not just in Asia. Oh, absolutely. But I've got one question, though about rich people problems as well as crazy rich Asians and the world, well, the world today, because I'm thinking about the knee-jerk reaction that a lot of the world is having against the rich and the privileged. And I'm wondering how you think the book and the movie will fare in that environment, because it seems like it seems like they are the bad guys in the age of Donald Trump. You know, I think that's a very interesting question. And I think at the central core of all my books is, is the issue of wealth disparity in the world. And it's something I look at, and it's an issue that I think I really sort of address in very subtle ways in all my books to show, you know, how much the rich have in contrast to everyone else. Um, but I hope I'm also bringing a humanity and an understanding to this group of people um, in a way that, you know, ultimately I'm just trying to make people amused and entertained and make them laugh. You know, um, we live in a very difficult time right now and I'm just seeking for people to sort of escape into a story and enjoy that world for a little while and forget about their own problems, you know, and, and they're now immersing in rich people problems and seeing how many problems there are, you know, even for people with hundreds of millions of dollars. So I'm, I'm hoping there ultimately is an empathy 
for all types of people. Kevin, as always, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Likewise. Uh, you give the best interviews. You really do. That was Kevin Kwan. You can, of course, find his third and final book in the Crazy Rich Asians trilogy, Rich People Problems, at all good bookstores. Go check it out. This is Bookmark on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.